right, everybody. Happy uh, Monday. So I apologize for not getting this done on Friday. It was a little under the weather Friday and Saturday, and we had to do a bunch of uh, household catch-up stuff on Sunday. And then obviously we had the, the Bill Steelers Sunday night game, which was a must-see, and got my Bills back into the playoffs and still in contention for an AFC title. Depending what they can do next Sunday after next Saturday afternoon, I think it is against the uh, the Patriots. So that should be uh, a game worth watching for sure. So uh, before I start, a couple housekeeping items. Um, if you signed up for the affiliate links, um, some payments have gone out. Um, if you haven't got them and you're expecting some, please let me know. It's automated, so it should work, but. Every now and then there's um, there's kinks, and if there are, I want to get it fixed right away so I can figure out what's going on. Um, for those of you who don't know what it is, you have an affiliate program, just go to your account and sign up. You'll have your own link, and that link will um, link to your affiliate member number, and you get 20% of whatever's generated from that link uh, in, in perpetuity. So every time someone pays, you get your 20% payment or whatever they pay. We have uh, a few of you already are getting basically free memberships to value plays, and there's a, a couple who are actually getting paid to be value plays um, members, which I think is that's the coolest part for me. Uh, you guys are actually getting paid to be a member of the website. Um, so if you're not sure how to do the affiliate stuff, just send me an email, subs at valueplays.com, and I will get that information for you um, as soon as I can because it's, it's easy. You can share it on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, stuff, whatever, whatever, wherever you can share something public, you can share it, and uh, people can go ahead and sign up. You get a VP thirty, it's a thirty percent coupon code off the list prices. You can give that to people, and then you just uh, every thirty days, uh, payments go out uh, to people who are affiliates. So, um, yeah, it's good. Um, so let's get to the questions. Will Discover be open to the public? I don't think until after the trial. Um, and I think the reason that Discovery's been done under seal so far is because it's, you know, again, there are, and the government made, um, the government made what I thought was a valid point in that, you know, they're sitting in a room and they'll come out with, um, questions or you know let's say let, let's give me proposals for redoing the housing market meet the housing um housing uh finance and so they'll put together a bunch of ideas and they'll throw some ideas out and some of those ideas and retrospect are probably kind of crazy uh, but you know you're just in a room with people you're throwing ideas out and then you kind of hash through them all and the government made, I think, the valid point was that, look, you know, we made some of these ideas, recognizing that some of them weren't feasible, weren't likely to cause major disruption. We don't want, you know, a, a part of a discussion being made public that could make people think this is where they're going in the housing market and cause a real disruption in housing and housing finance and mortgage rates and the availability of loans and things like that. So I thought that that was a very valid point. Um, you know, something taken out of context could could cause a big problem. So I don't anticipate 
discovery will be made public in any meaningful way um, other than what's in court documents that's not redacted. I do not think that that will be made until after the after this is all said and done. Um, and then I would I would not be surprised to see if the government tried to keep a permanent seal on that for X number of years. Um, I don't know if they're able to do that, but that would not surprise me at all. And honestly, you know, if this settles and goes in our favor or we win in court, I mean, is it really that big a deal? You know, eventually, eventually you'll find out. Eventually there'll be a Freedom Information Act and eventually people get that information. But, you know, by that time, most of us will probably have moved on, right? <laughs> so um, any comments about the Sweden decision? So the Sweden decision was great. Um, it It's... We we are going to trial, and the as we know, courts simply copy each other. So you know, Sweeney said Sweeney laid out what well, the best thing about the Sweeney decision was that she laid out the plaintiff's case, and it was accepted as fact. And she went into some detail that I think lays the groundwork for every other case before our courts. Like we're going to go to trial on this because. Margaret Sweeney said you're going to trial. She denied the direct claim, which for about $1 billion is probably what they were looking at now. And honestly, that's not a big deal. It was derivative claim was allowed to proceed. And people are saying that's worth about $125 billion. Uh, and the court agreed that the plaintiffs had standing to bring the claim. And um, in January 10th, they're going to have, they have to have documents in to um, uh, schedule future proceedings. So I think that um, you know, the next question I'm going to think is will the Supreme Court take it? I do believe the Supreme Court will take it. Um, I think that uh, you have too many conflicting court cases out there on it now. And I think that the Supreme Court needs to weigh in to simply say, hey, this is, this is, this is, this is what's going on with this. So I've heard... You know, December 13th to 14th, and then I saw it was kicked back to January 13th. And I think I saw yesterday at some point that it's moved up to maybe January 10th. We'll hear um, from the Supreme Court whether or not to take it. So, you know, anywhere between anywhere between the month of December 13th to January 13th, we can expect um, to hear if the Supreme Court is going to take it. Uh, I would imagine if they're not going to take it, we'd hear sooner rather than later. Um, if they're going to take it, it probably would be later. That we hear, I wouldn't expect to hear before New Year's. So you know, I think it's gonna be a pretty quiet Christmas. Um, but what is interesting is in Sweeney's background section of the um, of the of the the case, she says this. And I'm gonna read it slow. Uh, the enterprises up until the financial crisis in the late 2000s were consistently profitable. Fannie had not reported a full-year loss since 1985, and Freddie had not reported such a loss since becoming privately owned. Although the enterprises recorded losses in 2007 and the first records in 2008, the enterprises continued to generate sufficient cash to pay their debts and retain sufficient capital to operate. Otherwise stated, the enterprises were not financial distress or otherwise at risk of insolvency. That is huge. Sweeney's basically saying there was no reason for the conservatorship. The enterprises were cash flow positive and they were at no risk of financial insolvency. And that was the entire basis for putting them in, in conservatorship. Can you imagine if the conservatorship is ruled invalid in the Washington federal case? 
They have to pay back $200 billion. Sweeney just said in her decision, the enterprises retain... The enterprises continue to generate sufficient cash to pay their debts and retain sufficient capital to operate. That means they were not insolvent. They were not in danger of insolvency. There was absolutely no justification for the conservatorship. This is the judge saying this. I've maintained, and I've said all along, that putting Fannie and Freddie into conservatorship was simply a backdoor bailouts for the banks. Banks had loans marked down at 60 cents on the dollar, 50 cents on the dollar. The GSEs are buying, buying them for them for full price. Right? This is how it went. Banks were taking massive losses on their, their loan portfolios because the prices of those loans were collapsing. The GSEs get taken over. They come in. They buy those loans at almost full value. Supply capital to the banks. Right? Without bailing out the banks again, they're, they're doing what a bailout would do. They were providing liquidity for the banks at good prices. Then when everything settles, 2010, 2011, 2012, what happens? Fannie Mae, they all sue the banks for that money. And they settle and get some of it back. Classic. Bank America survived because Fannie and Freddie were buying those loans. And then when everything settled out, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac turned around and sued them. And Bank of America had to buy back some of those loans. It was just a ballot. It wasn't a ballot of the GSC. It was a ballot for the banks. And then, even further, she goes in to say that in the early stages of conservatorship, enterprises' net worth decreased as it reported losses. The bulk of those losses resulted from the FHFA writing down the value of deferred tax assets and designating large loan loss reserves. Notwithstanding those on-paper losses, the enterprise's cash receipts consistently exceeded their expenses. They maintained net operating revenue in excess of the net operating expenses from the onset of the conservatorship under the PSPAs and through the first two amendments of the agreement. Again, the judge said these are just non-cash write-downs. Despite those losses, everything was still positive for the GSEs. They were still operationally profitable. And then she goes in to talk about the, uh, the, the, the second, uh, the, uh, the net worth sweep. And that public statements from Treasury regarding the need for it are undone by the facts in the case. So, I think it was a fantastic decision for shareholders. I think that it sets the stage for every case to follow. I think Judge Lambert reading it probably was seeing red, realizing that he was lied to in court by Treasury and FHFA. They lied to his face in court. Remember, Lambert didn't have the benefit of discovery. He dismissed without discovery. So everything that's come out in the last two years, while discovery's been undergoing in Sweeney Court, Lambert had no access to. He was told by Treasury and FHFA that it was a downward spiral. 
continuing losses. The GSEs are at risk of being solvent. The housing market had collapsed. They, were, they had to rescue Fannie Mae because the whole thing was going under, none of which was true. Well, the housing market did collapse, but none of the things that they said about the, the quote-unquote death spiral you heard so much about regarding the GSEs was true. And not only is it proven true now based on the financials we're able to see, but it's proven now based on their own statements and emails from Treasury and FHFA that were discovered during that were uncovered during discovery. So I, you know, if I was lawyers of um, the GSCs, I, I, I'd be very uneasy right now. But I still do maintain, and I still still think that they need an actual loss in court before Mnuchin and Calabria are able to move. Um, they need political cover. But I think what Sweeney does is that makes that more likely. Right? You, you never really know when you go to court. I mean, you, you could have a judge talk to you like, you know, you're going to win everything and get your decision. And you're like, well, we in the same room. Believe me, that happens. But, I mean, this decision is 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 golden for shareholders. Um, any comments on share price share impact? I mean, I look. I don't. The share price is going to do. What the share price is going to do. Um, and I don't think you're going to see the big moves until you get a serious court decision in our favor. The Supreme Court says they're going to take the case. You know. So, you know, I, I think the shares are just going to continue to waffle around. Unless, you know, maybe, you know, Calabria or Minutia start talking about settling or make comments about it or, you know, whatever. I don't know. But, you know, it's I, I think the big jumps are going to come when there's actual things happening. Um, what is the probability? There's a new question, though. What is the probability that CHK removes its going concern notice in its Q4 earnings report? What is the probability of CHK 30-day average share price being larger than $1 in a six-month time frame? In the long run, CHK might survive and might even rally significantly due to the oil price rally eventuality. But if it takes too long, over six months, oil price will bounce back. CHK might get delisted from NYSE and a share price will crash. Six months is not too far away. Why do you think the risk is small? Um, so a bunch of stuff there. I don't know if they're going to be able to remove the going concern from Q4. It all depends on the timing of the new debt deal they just did. When is that finalized? Um, you know, they're going to take money and obviously they're going to pay off certain debts and certain lines. Depending on the timing of that, um, it may not fall into Q4. It may fall into Q1. I have a feeling that when they feel they're able to remove it, they're going to say something because um, that will help get the stock price higher. Um, and I think that the going concern notice could be removed by the auditors at any time, given certain events. You know, if this this debt deal goes through and prices where they want it to, and they're paying off certain debt, and they have no maturities for the next two years, um, that could do it. You know, they're still talking about that sale that you know to um, Jerry Jones's group uh, selling the Haynesville assets for about a billion dollars. If that goes through, that definitely should remove it. So there's things happening. I think it just comes down to the timing of them. Um, whether or not it gets removed in Q4 or Q1. Uh, as far as, you know, 
do I think it's going to be above a dollar in six months? I do. I do think this debt to hops. I do think oil prices are going higher. I do think this sell the Haynesville assets. And I do think that matters. And I do think once the going concern notice is removed, I think you see a significant share price rally. And they could always do a reverse split if they wanted to to get it over a dollar. So, you know, there's, you know, they could do a 10 for one reverse split. So there's plenty they can do. I don't think that, um, they're going to be in danger of being delisted. You know, I think that's just, I think there's plenty of levers they can pull. And and honestly, they're in the process of doing that. That will get the share price over. But I think it's about 80 cents today. So um, it's not, it's not far away. Um, is Washington federal case dismissed by Sweeney leaders ruling to dismiss direct claims? Or is Washington federal case primarily argued direct claims? I, I just answered that question. Um, what happens to Con preferred uh, Washington federal case if it really accepted in trial and even if it wins trial from Sweeney court. Well, I mean, if obviously if the shareholders win, the stock price is going up, right? And that's, it's going to go up. What do you think of 5G stocks, high tech companies such as Qualcomm and uh, MU? Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I've been hearing about 5G for, it seems like 10, 15 years now. And, I think that whenever we hear things like that, I always had to question the outcome. Because here's the thing. Here's what I think. You know, if 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 five G is this what they say it is, and I've seen um, demonstrations of it, it is amazingly fast. So if we have all these five G chips that you got to sell, are we just going to get rid of routers? Right. I mean. Is all the chips and everything going into routers and that technology, is that just going to fall by the wayside? We could just use 5G for everything? I don't know. And it's, I don't know, I just, I think there's a lot of hype in it right now. And I think anytime there's a lot of positive hype in something, you don't get really good pricing on things, you know, beyond beef, you know, all that, all those things that, you know, beyond burger was what, 190 or something like that. It's pretty much collapsed from there. So, um, when everyone's excited and jazzed up about something, that's not when you get the best pricing in it. It doesn't mean it might not beyond beef might not be a good investment long term, but it was not at one hundred and ninety bucks, one hundred eighty bucks, whatever it was at. I, mean, I think it might have even went higher. Um, it was not a good investment at those levels. Um, I haven't looked at it now, but I know at one point it was almost cut in half. So, and even that, I, even that, you really can't even justify the valuation of it. So. Um, what is the chance of SCOTUS take the Fifth Circuit cases? What is the chance to reverse it? What will happen to preferred and common if cases are reversed? Um, I, can't, I can't answer that. I can't place odds on whether or not the Supreme Court is going to take the case or not. I haven't heard anybody put it, right, put it this way. I haven't read anything from anyone who's legitimate in this um, and by the people who you know I follow and whose opinions I value and who aren't just out there hyping one side or another and who have been mostly right, by the way, on as far as the court stuff goes. Um, I can't find anyone who doesn't think the Supreme Court is going to not take it. I think there's too much at stake. I think there's too many conflicting opinions out there. And I think when, when you have the government involved in something like this and so public, I think that um, I think the Supreme Court is almost obligated to take it and be the final arbiter of this is what it is. Um, I, 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 you know, I can't find anyone who says the Supreme Court is going to pass on it. 
Um, so, and as far as what they decide, you know, obviously, based on Sweeney's decision, if they put any weight in that, I don't see how we could lose. Um, Sweeney basically says the whole justification for the conservatorship was was bull. Uh, the justification for the network sweep was bull. Um, and that shareholders were robbed of their rights. So, I mean, unless the Supreme Court completely goes against the Fifth Circuit and completely goes against Sweeney, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't see how, <laughs> I don't see how we lose. You know, she's going to say that court of claims, Fifth Circuit's wrong. She's going to say that court of federal claims is wrong. And who knows what Lambert comes out with between now and then. There might be three judges saying this. So, you know, and the D.C. Circuit sent it back to Lambeth. So you got four, four different courts right now who are going on one way, and you got a, you know, a couple circuit courts that are going the other way. So I think they have to take it. You know, and, you know, if, if the, obviously, it, there's two outcomes. If the government wins, the shares are going to get crushed. If plaintiffs win, they're going to go really high, really fast. I don't think there's, I think it's a binary outcome either way. It's either really good or really bad. Obviously, I think it's going to be really good because I'm still in the stocks. And so are a lot of other people. So um, what are your latest thoughts on CHK? I, we just went over that. So um, a question on TPL. Um, you know, TPL is, TPL is, is benefiting from the rise of oil right now. And I, I do think, and I, you know, I, I put out some stuff on it in the last week. I do think we are in, in line for significantly higher oil prices. Um, there's a thought process that shale drillers can flip a switch and start pumping oil. That's just not true. And, um, you know, when Saudi Arabia lost 5% of its oil production in, in what, 14 minutes the attack stuff? Um, you know, we didn't, we weren't able to match that or ramp up our oil production significantly. We are going flat out. And, and aside from that, you know, the drillers have quote unquote found Jesus uh, in cash flow. And gone are the days where they're just drilling all over the place at negative cash flow numbers, hoping to replace that or find a gusher. They've all significantly reined in their CapEx expenses. And focusing on cash flow. The amount of debt and equity issued in that space is at, I think, five or ten year lows right now, this year. Meaning they're not issuing equity, they're not issuing debt for CapEx. CapEx in the oil and gas space has collapsed. And it hasn't collapsed because demand is collapsing. It's collapsing because they're focusing on cash flows. And they're not in 50, 59 or sixty dollar oil. They're not. They're not going to drill in places that's fifty five dollars is break even. Now, when it goes to seventy, they might. But they're not doing it at those small margins anymore. They got too many of them. Got too burned too many times. So that means you're going to see the demand grow slow. It already has slowed. It's slowed everywhere in the U.S. except the Permian. Because right now that's some of the cheapest oil. The Bakken has slowed. Every place has slowed for oil production. Some places are actually negative growth. 
except the Permian, which is great for us, great for Canada Morgan, great for Williams, great for TPL. But it's not great for the overall oil production in the U.S. You're going to see that grow slow. When you see that grow slow, which is going to happen probably Q4, Q1 next year, it will start to slow. Or the rate of growth will start to slow. You're going to see oils jump. And producers are going to be in no rush to go chasing marginally profitable oil if they're $35 or $40 break even, $30 in some cases of the Permian. It's just pumping cash now. Trust me. CapEx has dropped too fast, too much for them to just turn it around like that. You've already seen major offshore projects canceled. Those take years to get going. They've stalled them, stalled them, stalled them. Deep water is expensive. More expensive than shale. Those projects aren't getting completed. And several of the big ones are already on the downslide of their production. So I, you know, you could argue we were really, really early into oil. I don't know. Um, we've still done really well with the DTO short because, you know, if oil drops, we win. If oil stays the same, we win because it's a deeply flawed ETF, which they acknowledge in the prospectus. So we've done really well on that. And I think there's could be some significant upside over the next year in that. I do think we're going to see high oil prices. I really do. And none of this assumes anybody in the Mideast decides to act up. Or we get a Democratic president, a Democratic Congress that really grinds the halts to fracking. And makes it really hard to put in more pipelines. None of this assumes any of those scenarios that could even add even more upside to the price of oil. Significant upside in those scenarios. Right now, the only growth in, the only growth in U.S. oil is fracking in the Permian. <coughs> if we were to get some federal legislation that put the grinded grind ground that to a halt, or stalled it, or delayed it, or slowed it down, whoa. That's it. That's that's significantly high oil prices right away. Because where else are we gonna go? Where else are we gonna get it from? Saudi Arabia would be perfectly happy to see $60, $70, $80 oil. They're not going to start pumping left and right. The deep water projects, they're years away from being done. So, I mean, there's some scenarios. I think oil continues just to grind higher, but there's some scenarios where it jumps higher pretty quick. Um, and you know oil. Oil is... It's probably two-thirds emotion and one-third fundamentals. Because if anyone looked at the fundamentals of the oil market right now, inventory is well below the five-year average. Growth is slowing everywhere in the U.S. except the Permian. There's no deep water, no conventional drilling projects on the horizon. If anyone really looked at the fundamentals, they'd be like, shit, we could have a major oil shock in the next two or three years. But no one is. We're just It's all permanent glut, you know? 2006, 2007, our oil was like 140 bucks a barrel because we had peak oil. It's 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 two thirds emotion, one third fundamentals in oil. 
I guess probably all commodities really like that, but oil is really the only one I, I tend to deal with for whatever reason. Even natural gas, you know, this liquefaction plants are just being finalized. We're just, you know, uh, Kinder Morgan has a, at the Elba Island in South Carolina, they have a tanker there. That'll be the first one out of there, first of many. And that's going to put significant demand on natural gas, significant pressure on natural gas demand to go up, to go higher. So that could lift natural gas prices too. And again, you're seeing the same thing in that space with the drillers. They've all found Jesus. Uh, you know, Chesapeake Energy is a perfect example. Marcellus is flat next year. The capex and the Marcellus production is going to be flat. They're not going to pump more money in there to pump more gas out of low prices. They'll focus on oil. Better margins. Now, gas goes up, they'll go back in. But, you know, this four years ago... None of this would have happened. These companies would have been taking on more debt, issuing more equity to raise more money to pump more gas. Well, no one's doing that anymore. And that, that's good. It's good for the sector. It's good for what's going on there. But I think people need to, you know, it's a new way of doing business for a lot of these companies and people haven't quite caught on yet. So I think I've kind of droned on about that enough. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. But... Um, those are my thoughts, and uh, I think those are all the questions we have. Let me just check my email super quick. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Whoop, oh, 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 oh. Um, Sweeney, paying out. Sounds like going for plain enough. Just go to trial. Would it be trial? Jury trial or just in front of Judge Sweeney again? Um, I wouldn't think... I don't think that court is a jury trial. I think it would be in front of the judge. Which I think in cases like this is better. Um, you know, it's it's a complicated thing. And getting juries of your peers to adjudicate complex financial stuff is really risky for plaintiffs and defendants, you know, and basically it's going to be like, you know, these filthy rich billionaires are trying to take, put your tax money at risk. These guys are trying to profit off your losing your homes in 2008, 2007, 2006, you know, it, it becomes one of those dog and pony shows. So it's better before a judge because I just want, you know, the judge doesn't want to hear that. Let's get the facts in. Sweeney basically knows the cases. I don't think it would take very long. And honestly, the Supreme Court's going to rule by the, by June if they take it. I don't think Sweeney's anywhere close to a trial before that time anyway. So all this might be moot. When the Supreme Court comes down and says that conservatorship was illegal, the network sweep was illegal, Judge Sweeney has nothing to adjudicate in her court. At that point, we we're just talking damages. So, you know, same thing with Lambeth. So, all right, everyone, that's it. Sorry for the delay again. I'll get this posted right away. And uh, I hope you all had a great weekend. And I hope this is a, a good week for all of us. Bye now.